Let's launch into the Word of God. Proverbs 29, 26 says, Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice comes from the Lord. Today we're wrapping up um, a four-week series, You're Dead, Now What? Now what? And we've talked, we started the first week, we talked about what happens immediately after you die, what, uh, what's that like? And uh, the second week we took kind of a bird's eye view of hell and... Um, that's about as close as we want to get. And then the last week, we spent some time taking a look as best we could at what heaven was like. And all through this time, I've had a lot of people saying, you know, well, what about this? What about that? There have been a lot of questions. So I decided to uh, try to tackle some of the most common questions today. And um, I'm going to go pretty quickly because we're already a little bit late in starting. Um, so you might want to jot some of the scriptures down that I give you. And you see later you can go back and uh, look a little bit deeper. I want to kind of also lay some ground rules for what we're going to do today. Um, whenever the Bible speaks really clearly to a subject, then I'm going to take a stand on that and I'm not going to waver. Okay? So far, so good. And if the Bible doesn't speak real clearly on something, then I'm going to look for biblical principles to apply. That's what you ought to do. If it's not black and white, very clear in the Word of God, you just should look for the underlying principles. And if the Bible's not clear at all, then I'll say that, and then I'll give you what I think is my best guess or my approach to that. And everywhere along the way, I encourage you, that's the process you ought to go through life as you try to sort things out. Find out what the Word of God says about something. If it's not real clear to you, then uh, look for principles to apply and, and be careful as you go. There is a group of people called the Bereans. And in one of, one of, uh, along the way, as Paul was making one of his journeys, he was in, uh, um, uh, in an area called Berea. And the Word of God talks about those people. And you see this mentioned in Acts 17, verse 11. It says, And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. And that is the responsibility of every Christian. It's good to be in a church where you trust the leader and trust that they know that they've studied the word of God rightly, dividing it and uh, showing themselves approved to teach. But you need to make certain that what you hear from this pulpit and any pulpit is in the word of God. You need to do that. So be like a Berean. Okay, so the very first question I'm going to try to tackle today is probably going to be the most controversial one. Um, I hope this doesn't cause a church split, but it might because it's very, very controversial. It really is. I'm hoping that my mom will stay in the church after she hears the answer. I don't know because we talked about this a little bit yesterday and I could see some tension building. The first question is, do our pets go to heaven? It depends. It just depends. It just depends. Are we talking about dogs here? Or... See? See? I told you this was going to go sideways on me fast. You know, I've been mentioning I have had some fun at the expense of kitty cats over the last couple of weeks, which, you know, I just don't have the maturity and the self-control to stop digging myself into this hole. But I have received some fan mail from some cats. And I'd like you to introduce you to two new friends, Glory. Crystal and Celeste. And you can see, um, is this Celeste, the last one that came up, or is that Crystal? That's Crystal? Yeah, she's a notorious mouse killer. You can see carefully there that the mouse is nearly in its clutches. But not all of my fan mail has been quite so friendly. 
I do have to say that I've been a little bit under duress when I've talked about heaven concerning dogs and cats because I also received this email. (laughs) So, um, but you know, for an awful lot of us, a pet can become just about like a family member or like a family member. And so, I mean, I, I, I could do one of those, how many believe pets will be there? You raise your hands. And how many don't think your pets will be there? And you raise your hands. I don't want to do that. Because I know there will also be a third segment of people that would sissy out on them. They wouldn't raise any hand. Um, and in spite of what Don Bluth says about all dogs going to heaven, the Bible doesn't really tell us the answer to this question. It doesn't really say it clearly. Um, before we get scriptural, though, I want to just talk some plain logic. If you're one of the people who in your mind would have raised your hand and said, yes, our pets are going to go to heaven, I just want to ask a couple of rhetorical questions. What exactly would they have to do to make the cut? I mean, really. Okay, if pets get to make it, what do they do that makes the cut? And if there is a pet heaven, is there also a pet hell? If they were to make the cut, you know, what would the cut be? Like, like my dog or cat doesn't soil the carpet. Okay, you're in. Uh-oh, you did it on the floor one time too many. Sorry, you know what that means. Um, besides the newspaper, I don't know what that means. But, um, I mean, or, and, and si- obviously, since our dogs and our cats and our hamsters can't open their hearts to Jesus, at least I don't think they can. I don't see how they do. Um, you know, which ones make it to heaven? I mean, just the good ones? Do the, do the bad ones go to pet hell? I just don't know. It's just really not clear. What about, maybe, maybe it's the, the, the pets of Christian owners, like they kind of inherit your faith? <laughs> so non-Christian's pets, too bad, nice dog, but, you know, too I don't know. I just don't know about that. Or maybe it's a certain classification, the fluffy, cute ones, dogs, cats, bunnies, but no snakes and no tarantulas, Maybe. Or, or uh, you know, now I cannot keep myself out of trouble. Lisa told me, rabbit trail, you, okay. So Lisa told me that, that June is Accordion Awareness Month. For those of you who were offended by my accordion joke last week, I'm, I'm being careful to offend everybody equally here. <laughs> so um, maybe, maybe it's the cute ones. I don't know. But if pets do go to heaven, what about the other animals? Like, you know, um, dogs, if they're a family dog, yes. If it's a wild dog, no. I mean, you can see where I'm going with this. There's these, there are these logical corners that we can paint ourselves into if we build a doctrine based on what we hope. Kind of a, a, a thin, thin place to go on. And so, okay, so let's just talk about what we do know. We, do, we know that God created man and mankind in his own image, and he breathed into man the breath and the spirit of life. Animals were not created in God's image. Nowhere do we see that he breathed into them a spirit. We know that whoever calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. We know that whoever believes in Jesus, though he dies, he'll live eternally. And as far as I can tell, um, animals don't call on the name of Jesus. I see in Scripture that Jesus died for people. I don't see in Scripture that he died for animals. Um, and before you get all discouraged, though, about where that's leaning, um, because, you know, maybe Fluffy isn't going to make it to heaven, I don't know. We do know that there will be animals in heaven. 
we know that they'll be there. Uh, Isaiah eleven six says, The wolf will lie with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. And Rev 19, Revelation 19, says that Jesus will enter on a white horse, so we know that there will be animals in heaven. But I haven't found a scripture, I haven't found it, maybe you found it, who says specifically that Muffy and Molly are going to make the cut, that they'll be in heaven. I just don't know. I just don't know, so let's go on to the next question. Should a Christian be cremated? Uh, people wonder, should a Christian always be buried? And uh, in the Old Testament, we know that cremation was a practice that was used by pagans, in, in, and so Christians didn't want to be connected with pagan practices, so they kind of distanced themselves from cremation at the time. And a lot of people ask themselves the question, will God be able to resurrect a cremated body in the resurrection? Um, okay, that's, that's a legitimate question because we wouldn't be able to, right? I mean, um, so several things happened over, over, the, over the centuries. We've seen things happen, and so we have this question. If we were going to take a stance against cremation, you've got to answer some of these questions because there were times that Christians were martyred. They were burned at the stake. They were burned to the point where there was nothing left but ashes at times. Nothing left. Um, or there are examples, there are tragic ones where Christians may be in a house fire and nothing's left. What's the deal with that? Or in times of war, someone can be just horribly lost in a time of war or, you know, and frankly, every cemetery that's of any age at all, there were bodies that were buried there that were bodies at one time and they're probably not. After enough time passes, they turn into dust. And in fact, that's what Genesis 319 tells us is for dust you are and to dust you'll return. So if God can uh, restore a decomposed body that's been in the ground for a couple thousand years, I think he can also restore a body that's been cremated. Next question. Will people be married or have sex in heaven? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I have to say, uh, for me, this whole question became pretty pertinent about 39 years ago when Lisa and I, we haven't been married 39 years, almost 37, but this is us 39 years ago on a date out at Ocean Shores. Isn't that romantic? That's points for me today, baby. <laughs> and I just blew them all off just now, didn't I? They're all gone, gone. And I'm very thankful to be blessed with a terrific marriage to a wonderful woman. Um, she's more beautiful every moment. She is. I love her like crazy. <laughs> and as much as I would love to say yes, we'll be married in heaven, Scripture says something different. Um, Jesus, this is Jesus answering a question in Matthew 22. He says, At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. Now, you've got to admit that it would be a little bit complicated, or it could be anyway, if somebody had two marriages or three marriages. Uh, you know, there are examples where someone is married and they lose a spouse to cancer or some other tragedy, and then later they remarried. Which one would they be married to? I mean, that's, that, that can get really complicated. So Scripture says we won't be married in heaven, but we will have relational connections there. The Word says that we will know and be known. So we'll have relationships there of some sort, obviously. So I'm putting in a request to have Lisa as a roommate or at least my next door neighbor or something. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if she has to agree to that or what the deal will be. 
But sadly, and this truly is sad to me for now, I think, I think of this in my limited capacity. Sadly, we'll not be married in heaven, but I know I won't be sad about that. I, I, have, to, I have to, that's faith speaking. It's not my heart speaking. It's my yeah. faith speaking because I trust the Lord. Will we have sex in heaven? I, you know, I, I, I don't know. Since there's no marriage in heaven, I don't think we will. But, um, you know, as disappointed as you might be, if that's true, I want you to know that right after service that Pastor Eric is available to pray with you <laughs> about that topic. So let's move on. Next question. <laughs> I know some of you are wondering, how much time is it going to take on that topic? It better not be much. Should we try to contact the dead? Maybe you remember um, when you were growing up the phrase, who are you going to call? Or maybe, <laughs> maybe as kids, you had a party somewhere and you got out the candles and you had a seance or you played with a Ouija board um, or you did those kinds of things. And the question is, is that innocent fun or is it dangerous? And today, witchcraft is very popular out there. If you watch the movies, you see Harry Potter. I mean, I like to, with Lisa, we go and when, when we're um, able to, we go to like farmer's markets, those kinds of places and where the craft fairs. And now there are little booths that pop up and there's somebody there that's reading tarot cards and palms and they're selling little wizard wands and they're really cool tie-in to Harry Potter and kids love it. It's pretty popular. Is it okay for a 12-year-old girl to take her Barbie doll and say, Molly, this is what you get for stealing my boyfriend and start jamming pins in there. Is that okay? 12? I don't know, 12? At some age, whatever age they have Barbie dolls. Um, is it okay to call a 900 number and pay $4.95 a minute for somebody from Bolivia to tell you where your lost car keys are? I mean, is this all innocent or dangerous? Should we try to contact the dead? The scriptures speak very clearly about this one. Deuteronomy 18 says this. Let no one be found among you who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. Now listen, I was raised um, like probably most of you. At some point you were afraid of the dark and some adult said to you, there's no such thing as ghosts. And I think in the context of Casper the Friendly Ghost, that's true. But there are such things as spiritual beings. And um, so I'm not going to go off down that road today. That's a complete different sermon or series. I'll just say that those things, in my opinion, are not cute, nor are they innocent. They're incredibly dangerous. So next question. Can a person who commits suicide go to heaven? Now, I'm going to walk into this one really as gently as, as I can because I think for many of us, this is going to strike pretty close to home. Some of you may have lost a friend or even a family member tragically to suicide. And I want to just talk about suicide for a minute to kind of get the problem into context for us. In America, there are just a little bit under a million suicide attempts every year. That means one every 40 seconds or so. If I start extrapolating those facts and I start putting that into the present moment, it starts to make me feel bad, pretty bad. Probably should make us feel bad, but, um, but that just tells you how much pre people are hurting out there, those kinds of numbers. About one in 25 who attempt it actually succeed. Any one is too many, just any one. As a pastor, I've had to deal with the aftermath of that, and it's just, um, it's... 
it's heartbreaking to watch what will happen to people who in, in just a moment of desperation will do something incredibly foolish. It's just heartbreaking. And even just talking about this brings up all kinds of emotions in me, just like it does in you. The Bible gives several examples of people who commit suicide. There's at least seven that I've found. There's probably more. I don't know, but I just mentioned a few of them to you. Abimelech asked his armor bearer to kill him. Saul, in the Old Testament, when he was wounded, fell on his sword. Judas, in the New Testament, after he betrayed Jesus, just couldn't live with what he had done, and he went out and killed himself. Samson, when uh, the Lord restored his strength, pushed down the walls, killing his enemies and taking his own life in the same time. So the question is, can someone who does such a thing spend eternity in heaven? Now, the Bible doesn't speak directly on this, but there are some principles where we should be able to dig out something. Um, I haven't been able to find a single verse that says, if you take your own life, X, X will happen. So we're going to look now for some principles to apply. We know that murder is a sin. We know that killing yourself is murder, therefore suicide is a sin. But nowhere in Scripture does the word say that suicide or murder is the unforgivable sin. It does not say that. The unforgivable sin, another whole sermon for another time, the unforgivable sin has to do with the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I believe, I'm going to take a shortcut to the end to tell you what that means. I believe the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when you reject the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's ministry is to point the way to Jesus. When you reject the Holy Spirit's ministry, when you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you're saying to Jesus, no, I don't want anything to do with you. I reject you. I utterly refuse to receive you as king. That's unforgivable. That's not suicide. It's something different. And um, so I do want to say that although suicide, hold on, honey, okay? Although suicide is a sin and it's incredibly foolish, it's never, ever the answer. It's just never the answer. In a group this size, I know that there are people here that either are or have thought about suicide. And uh, so I just want to appeal to you. If you're thinking about this at all, please, after church, talk to me or one of the other church leaders and just let us pray with you because we care and we, we just want you to know we're with you. Just want you to know we're with you. I think, you know, when you look at the topic of suicide too, it's important for us to acknowledge that sometimes it's possible to look at suicide and involve the word hero in the same sentence, so to speak. Okay, I mean, it sounds kind of crazy, but for example, in a time of war, you see some incredibly brave soldier, loves the rest of the people around him, jumps on a grenade to save the people around him, knows he won't survive, takes his own life, and he's a hero. Or imagine this, you're a parent, your child walks into the street, here comes the bus or car or whatever, you'll do anything to save your child. You'll run out there and shove the child maybe even hurting the child in the process to get him out of the way of that deadly car. And you could give up your own life, take your own life in the process of saving. You're a hero to save your child. Some might say that's what Jesus was talking about when he said the words, greater love has no man than he would lay down his own life for his brother. John 15. Studies tell us about people who have attempted suicide 
that over 90% of the ones who have attempted it, within 24 hours after that, they say, if they would have waited longer, they wouldn't have tried it. It's like they get incredibly depressed. They get under demonic attack. They're listening to lies. There's all kinds of life pressures and problems. And then they make a very sinful and foolish decision. But one that I believe um, can very possibly be forgiven. Um, Scripture even lists Samson in the New Testament in Hebrews 11. He's listed among the heroes of our faith. Romans 8.1 says this about that. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I, th- I believe that although it's an incredibly foolish and it's a sin, it's not the unforgivable sin. So if they're a believer, I believe they can spend eternity in heaven with God. Now, I'm not wanting to give license by saying that, but I'm wanting to bring as best clarity I can to what I think the, the truth about the Word of God is. It's never the solution. But for those of you who have been touched by this tragedy and you wonder, um, I think you might find some hope from that. Next question. Will we remember our lives when we're in heaven? (laughs) Our family and our loved ones are pretty important to us. So there are a lot of things that we'd probably want to remember and probably some things we want to forget, right? The Bible doesn't speak directly to this one either, but there are some things. Some people say we will not remember our lives on earth and they... Though they sometimes point to Isaiah 65. It says, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. So they say, obviously, we're not going to remember the former things. But the question is, what are the former things? Is it everything or not? It's not really clear. Um, and those who say we will remember some things point to Luke 16, one of the places they look. It's a story we've talked about in the last couple of weeks. Jesus told a story about a rich guy who was in Hades after he died. And he was there and he remembered his brothers and he wanted someone to go and warn them so that they wouldn't end up there. He very clearly remembered his brothers and their beliefs and their lifestyle and felt they were in jeopardy to follow where he was. People also point to the Bama seat, which is where Jesus will judge believers, not to see whether they get into heaven or not, but to to make decisions about their reward. What have they earned? What, what, what about their lives on earth and what kind of rewards are there? So surely to do that, you have to remember some portions of your life. So there must be some memory there. Revelation 21 says that God will wipe away all of our tears, which implies, now this just implies that we'll remember some stuff that breaks our heart and he'll wipe that away. Um, the last uh, um, um, input that I would put on this topic is one from personal experience and personal belief, which I mentioned this to you, but I would never make doctrine, you should never make doctrine based upon your experience and your personal belief. That's not good enough, okay? But I'm going to share this with you um, because I believe this to be true about the character of God. Another reason that I think that we will probably have memory of on the earth is our character develops through our experiences, When you make big, huge mistake, usually it's the painful price that you pay from that big, huge mistake that changes your character. You decide, wow, I don't like how this feels and what has happened here. I don't think I'm going to do that again. You follow me? And that starts when you're a little guy and your parents say no and you decide yes anyway and something painful happens and you think, oh, I'm going to have a different character. I'm going to obey the next time. Do you follow me? I mean, that goes on your whole life. It doesn't stop when you're, you know, 50, 
six. I don't know why I said that number. I just said that number. And <clears throat> it doesn't stop. And I think that, you know, I, it's my own personal belief and philosophy that, you know, things like being married and being a parent and relating to other people, the Lord uses our experiences to shape our character. Hopefully, over our lifetime, we are always becoming more like Christ. Amen. Our character is becoming more godly. Our hearts are becoming bigger. We're becoming wiser. We're more full of love. We care more for those who need those things. And I don't think the Lord wants... The, I, I, my belief is that I don't believe the Lord wants the basis for all of that to be erased, you know, like you walk through some sort of a force field and you're, it's just wiped from your mind. That's personal belief. But I gave you other reasons. So my biblical opinion is that we will remember at least some, maybe everything... Um, maybe even everything from our, our lives on earth. So, okay, next question. Can people in heaven see what is happening on the earth? The Bible doesn't answer that one directly. Um, I've heard people say, you know, well, my grandma is up there watching out for me. She's looking down on me, and they find real comfort from that, and that's fine. People can believe that. And um, I have to say that for me, when I think about that, it's kind of, cre- kind of creepy. <laughs> I mean... I don't know if I want my grandma watching everything I do. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure my grandma wouldn't want to watch everything I do. Can people in heaven see what's going on on the earth today? Um, to those who say yes, they often cite Hebrews 12.1 that says that, therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, and I see that, they're, they're concluding that people are witnessing what's going on on the earth. I don't believe that that's what the verse is speaking to. It's in the context, that, that scripture is in the context of a bunch of others, and you can look it up later. But I believe that scripture is talking about God's faithfulness, God's goodness, God's glory. And um, to those who say, no, I don't think God, um, that they, I don't think that they can see, God can, but I don't think they can see what's going on. They often, again, cite Luke 16, the story about the rich guy in Hades. He, he could remember his brother's, but there's absolutely no evidence anywhere that he could see what they were doing or what was going on at that point. In fact, I think for many people in heaven, if they were able to see things that were going on on earth, it would cause excruciating pain for them. So my biblical guess is no, those in heaven cannot see what's happening on the earth. Now, before we tackle the last and probably most important question, I just want to say that if you have missed any of the recent messages we've done on this, that all of our messages all of them, not just from this series, but every message that we have, if you're interested, they're available for free on the church's website. And all you have to do is go there and you can download them. You can listen on the website or you can download them and listen to them later. It's crossroadsfoursquare.net.net. Dot net. Okay? Because, yeah, it's to, to draw attention that it's not dot com. It's dot net. And, you know, I also want to say that I know that, that, um, that, that you're taking these, these messages really seriously because um, I, I've, I've seen some of you and I've had these one-on-one conversations and I've heard some tear-filled testimonies about people opening their heart to the Lord um, in homes as well as in our services that we've had who um, people have said, there is, I, this is impossible. This guy opened his heart to the Lord and telling the story with the tears coming down. Um, so I love that because Jesus tells us very clearly that our treasures should not be on the earth, but they should be 
in heaven. You know, when I think about that, what, what does that mean? That means that our intent should be that you know, our pursuit should be on things in heaven, on eternal things. And um, when our treasure is in heaven, then we're more willing to share the gospel. And I hope that that's stirring something up in you as we go along. I, I know for me, I fight that. I mean, my heart goes there for a season, and then it starts to drift, and it starts pursuing the stuff around me, and I'm just, you know, being transparent. I think that's pretty common. I'm pretty heavenly minded for a while, and then boom, I'm back to pursuing things that just don't last. But so, so my prayer for me and for this church has been that we wouldn't settle for lower pursuits. My prayer and ongoing prayer for us is that we wouldn't think that life and we wouldn't think that meaning are tied up in the stuff of the living that we're doing today, but instead that we would leverage the things of this world, our gifts, our resources, our time, our love. We would leverage those things for eternity's sake and for their eternal value, things that will last forever and ever. So with all that in mind, I want to go to the last, and I think this is the most important question of them all. People want to know this, and this is a great question. You probably have people at work or at work. Is there more than one way to get to heaven? Now, the claim that Jesus is the only way is probably the most defensive statement that we would say to the world's mind. They see it as entirely defensive. I think 20 years ago, it, uh, it wasn't real popular to talk about God in society. I mean, today, it's incredibly popular. You just watch the Olympics today. You watch, you watch the, the medal stands. You watch people in their interviews. You look and see how many of them either are wearing a cross or they genuflect or they do something or they say, I just want to thank God and um, God this. You see it on talk shows, God this, God that. And it's all fine. We whistle along. It's perfectly fine right up until the moment that we say the name Jesus. And, <laughs> and then once that happens, it becomes controversial because Jesus is the one who claims that he is the exclusive way, the exclusive way to God. You know, if you listen out there, if you just listen to what people talk about, more and more people think today that Jesus is one of many ways. It's a popular answer. It's PC. It's politically correct. It's it's the acceptable thing because they, many Americans believe that all roads can lead to God just so long as you're sincere. If you're sincere, any one of these pathways will get you there because it seems right, because it feels right. Here's a recent survey poll. It says 78% of all American re religious affiliations say that all religions, not just their own, can lead to etern eternal life. 78%, three out of four of people attending evangelical churches. That's us. We preach that this is the inspired word of God, that Jesus is the Savior, etc. 57% of people in America attending evangelical churches, 57% believe that many religions can lead to eternal life. How can this happen? How do we get to this point? I mean, it's mind-boggling. I, I look at... Um, I love to kind of look and see what does society believe and think. It's pretty interesting. For, I, you would expect me to be interested in those things, I suppose. But most Americans hold to uh, a viewpoint that's described as, it's called postmodern. 
what is postmodern? It's kind of a buzzword that gets tossed around. It, it basically, there's nobody agrees what postmodern mean, but here are some common things about the postmodern viewpoint of, of life. There's no morality. There's no defined morality. There's no absolute truth. Reality is defined by your own experiences and what you want. Do you define your own reality? That's kind of a postmodern view. From a spiritual, when you look at postmodernism through a spiritual lens, you view um, God and spirituality as a series of experiences along a journey rather than an, a, an encounter with a person. It's a journey rather than, God is a journey rather than a person. But the reality is that God is not a test drive and he's not a sampler which you can choose off the menu and say, you know, I'll take three sliders and some buffalo wings. Um, And he doesn't change who he is in order to align himself with our opinions or what pleases us. It's uh, God created us in his image and we do him the favor of creating him in our image. And ultimately, what we feel doesn't determine who he is. Here's what scripture says. Let's just deal with that. We're just about done. John 14, 6 and 7, and I heard kids saying this today. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Acts 4, 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Wow. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. According to these scriptures, you can't do enough good religious works to ever be saved. And so the inverse would be true as well. You can't stop doing bad things enough to be saved. You can't do enough good things. You can't stop doing enough bad things. The only thing scripture says that can save you is faith in Christ. It's the only thing. That also means that joining a church can't save you. Attending church classes can't save you. Tithing can't save you. Serving in VBS can't save you. Those are good things to do. Do them. (laughs) If we believe that the Bible is God's word, and I do, then there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. even though it's politically incorrect for me to say that, it's unpopular for me to say that, there is no other name by which men can be saved than Jesus Christ. And, you know, if there had been any other way, just to flip the logic on this for a moment, there would have been no need for him to be born and to live and to die a sacrificial death and to be buried, and to raise himself from the dead, and then to ascend. That would have never been necessary if there had been another way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other name by which anyone can be saved. And that is the name, the matchless and the glorious name of Jesus Christ. And by that I'll stand, and I'll live my life forever. Let's pray.
God, um, I pray and I want to thank you for how easy it is to be saved for us because we don't do it, you do. I want to thank you, Lord, that it's a gift. Eternal life is a gift. And anyone who doesn't receive it, it's because they reject the gift. God, let it not be a single person in this room who rejects the gift. We pray over our family and our friends. Let them not, Lord, reject the gift. God, as we have talked about the seriousness of eternity over these weeks, I want to thank you that you have begun to move our hearts even more to an eternal focus, to things which will last forever. God, I pray that you would fill us with sensitivity to your spirit and that, Lord, in the right and ripe moments when people around us are ready to hear the good news, that, Lord, you'll use us not to be Bible thumpers, but somehow just to share the good news in a simple way, full of love, without condemnation, but just the truth. God, we pray that when those moments come, you'll, you'll help us ratchet up our courage and that, Lord, just our smile and a few simple words, we'll trust you to give us the words and that you will already have done the lion's share of the work preparing a heart. Lord, we believe that supernaturally you can put into people a desire to know about eternity. Supernaturally, you can put into people a desire to understand better your heart and your word. We pray that for our lost friends and family members. We ask God for you to put into them a desire to know your word. And then, Lord, give us a tender moment. Even with our rough and tumble friends, Lord, give us a tender moment when their heart is ready and help us to see the moment and then to seize it, God, to share just something of your love. I pray, Lord, that if anybody in this room has never settled eternity with you, that they would do it this moment. Your word says that all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. It's that simple. We can never do enough good things to get to heaven. We can never stop doing bad things enough to get to heaven. So, Lord, we have to look to you with faith instead and say, I receive the gift of salvation. Thank you that you came and you paid the price for my failings, God. Thank you that you came and you paid the price for my sin. I can't pay it. And you saw that and you knew it and you decided you loved me so much that you paid the price for me. Thank you. I open my heart to you, Lord Jesus. While we're praying, if there's anyone here who make that proclamation, would you just look up and let me agree with you in prayer? I'm not going to call you out. Just look up and agree with me. Let me see your hand if that's why you're looking at me. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Your sins are forgiven. The Bible says that your sins are forgiven. Way to go. Lord, I want to thank you for those in this room who just opened their heart to you. God, it's a miraculous thing. And I thank you, God, that you love us that much. Now fill our days, Lord, with your presence and do what you say, and that is to walk with us and to love us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. 